as I was praying this week, there's been something that the Lord's been kind of impressing on my spirit. And there's times whenever we know it's God and there's times when we think it's us. And the thing that God has been impressing on my spirit just of lately, there's been numerous things. One of the reasons why we did all these messages on relationships is because as I prayed, I just sensed that there was a dark cloud, like a storm coming. It's one of those things that you got to be ready for a storm because you can't, sometimes you can't do anything about it in the midst of the storm. And we have to prepare. And as I prayed, one of the things that I sensed was that there was a cloud that was coming against the families. It was coming against you. We're family. It was going to come against our homes and this storm. And it wasn't just any storm. It was like a tornado. And as that comes, there will be some, you, you know, anytime there's a tornado that comes, there's always some that you lose. There's always loss. But Psalms 91 says what happens when we make the Lord our refuge. When in the midst of the storm that we allow him to cover us with the shadow of his wings, there's the, with his feathers, that he'll cover us and that he will be our protection. The other thing, as I was praying recently that the Lord put on my heart, was this idea of God looking to prosper us. Now, please don't misunderstand. Not in some kind of selfish way, but God wanted to bless I just sense that God wants to bless some people to be a blessing. We're not name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, all that stuff. But I just want you to know that God is desiring to bless his people. But for him to bless us, sometimes there's some stuff that needs to get out of our lives. Some people need to repent. And for God to bring his blessings in your life, there needs to be repentance. Without repentance, you're not in the position to receive. Sometimes God is looking for forgiveness. And for you to receive from God, it's like you need to forgive. My mind kind of works in a weird way. It's almost like you're plumbing at your house. Do you ever notice when your plumbing backs up? When we don't forgive others, your plumbing backs up. It backs up into your house. All the stuff that should be normally carried out just begins to back up and it comes up in your drain. It comes up in your, you know, your toilet. It overflows. It's on the floor. And the longer that stuff backs up, the worse living conditions you live in. I don't want you to live in those kind of conditions. When you and I don't forgive, it slows down the junk that normally should just flow out of our lives. And we're living in a mess that God never intended us to live in. Sometimes for us, there needs to be an area of obedience too. For us to really receive from God and to be in a place where he's going to bless us, there needs to be obedience. And I told you this story many times before. A long time ago when I was in college, the first year, God put upon my heart to give a lady $20. $20. Well, at the time, I made three thirty-five an hour sweeping the cafeteria. You'd work an hour and a half an evening and an hour and a half during the day. So it took you at three thirty-five an hour, working an hour and a half, by the time you paid your taxes and your tithes, it took a little while to make 20 bucks. But I never mind giving, but the Lord put on my heart, it was a Sunday, and he told me, I want you to give this lady 20 bucks. And I thought, that's weird. And so I thought about it, and okay, well, I don't even, I don't even know her name. She attended to college, and she attended the church that I attended. And there again, I just felt impressed again. Give her 20 bucks. I don't know, maybe she needed deodorant, maybe she needed laundry detergent, maybe she needed a little bit of gas money. 20 bucks wasn't going to make or break her. 
But I just felt so impressed I needed to give her 20 bucks. And throughout the day on Monday, this impression, give her 20 bucks. And that afternoon at dinner, I mean, I felt so impressed. You need to give her 20 bucks. So after dinner, I had found out her name. I wrote, put, wrote her name on an envelope and her mailbox number. And I put a little note in there and just said, hey, the Lord impressed me to give this to you. Blessings from a brother in Christ. Didn't sign my name, anything like that. Put it in there. A week later, I'm at the mailbox getting my mail. And it says, I get this letter. It says, the members of the Joe Man Trust Fund met on Monday night, 6.30, 6 o'clock or 6.30. A half hour after I obeyed what God put upon my heart when I dropped that envelope in her mailbox. What happened from that trust fund, from that, was that I received over half of my college paid. Not just that year. God just didn't supply for me. Couldn't decide to go to school. I was like, how am I going to pay this? My dad has an okay job, but he makes enough money not to get any financial aid or very little. But I didn't want to take advantage of my parents. And when I graduated from school, I was able to graduate debt-free. Now, I'm going to say something to you. God was looking for a way to take care of me. He knew that I had a need that was bigger than the $20 that I needed for spending. He knew that he was going to call me into a place of ministry that I couldn't go into ministry with all of this debt hanging over my shoulders. God knew I had a need. I thought I was helping her, but God was setting me up to take care of me. And it was an issue of obedience. Okay? That's what I believe with all my heart. I wonder what would have happened. And here's the thing that kind of shocks me. It was like a half hour or an hour Why did they tell me what time they met? It was an hour, with less than an hour before they made a decision that was going to determine whether or not half of my college bill was paid, more than half. Uh, It wasn't because I'm good looking. It wasn't because I have any talent. It wasn't because I had good grades. It had nothing to do with that. They just said, we're looking for someone who's going to go into full-time pulpit ministry for at least one year. So God was looking for a way to take care of me. And I want you to hear this. God is looking for a way to take care of you. He's looking. He wants to prosper you. He wants to care for you. But how can God prosper you if you're living in sin? I can't. I'm sorry. How can God pour out his blessings in your life if you aren't willing to forgive somebody else? Makes it hard. If you're not doing what God asks you to do, you're going to miss out on the great things that God had. I don't want to think what would have happened if whenever God said to me, help this lady who I didn't even know, if I would have shut up my bowels of compassion towards her, I wonder what God would have done for me. Some people would say, well, he would have provided for you. Maybe he would have provided another job for me. Maybe I could have paid for that for 10 years. He may have provided. But God wants to take care of us. And so put yourself in a place where God can bless you. Now that we gave you that, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. As it was in the days of Noah... Luke chapter 17. There's been a lot in the news this week about the Italian cruise ship, the Costa Concordia, that sank off of Italy's Giglio Island. As I was preparing my message, the last report said that there were 12 confirmed dead and I believe 19 or 20 still missing. Human error is identified as the cause of this tragedy. 
And the captain of the ship is being held accountable. Now, I want you to know this. Do you realize that leadership is held accountable for what takes place on their ship? As a pastor, I'm held accountable for what takes place here. That's why I have to instruct you. In your home, as a husband, you're held accountable before God what takes place there. For those of you who own a business, you are held accountable for what takes place in your area of responsibility. They have recordings of communication between the captain and the Coast Guard that seem to indicate he had already gotten off the ship and was trying to save his own hide. The people on the ship before this happened would have been having a great time. If you've ever been on a cruise, you know that they have some of the best food. A cruise is a very relaxing thing. It's great food, neat shows or entertainment, great music and orchestras, all kinds of beautiful things taking place. They were unaware that they would soon face such a tragedy. They were just riding along. Maybe they were down in the spa earlier that day, or they were on the deck and swimming in one of the pools or sliding on one of the slides, unaware that tragedy was soon to strike. Jesus tells his disciples about a time that is coming that will catch people unaware. Listen to what he says in verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. I pray that you'd give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say to his church. In Jesus' name, amen. What was it like in the days of Noah? Well, if you do a little bit of reading uh, throughout the book of Genesis, you'll find that it was a time of great violence and wickedness. In fact, the scripture says that God regretted that he had made man because every inclination and man's heart was bent toward evil. There was such violence that took place. And if you look at our society, it's not a lot different from our society today in our inner cities where people are shooting and killing each other for no reason. If you see the violence towards women and towards children, you wonder how can a father beat his infant baby and kill her? All you have to do is read the Lancaster newspapers. And we find that parents, moms and dads, are beating infant babies and killing them. The violence against an abortion. All around us we see this violence. You know, it's a huge thing now of, of kids fighting and videotaping themselves and, and putting it on to YouTube and all these things. The, the world all around us is surrounded with violence. But there was much more. The people were worldly. By that we mean that they were consumed with eating, drinking, 
and giving in marriage. And although Noah preached righteousness and repentance, they refused to listen. They continued in their this, in, in quotations, their this world focus, all the way up until God shut the door of the ark. They were so consumed. There's nothing wrong with eating. They were so consumed in the affairs of this world. Verse 28 says, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Now we know this. We know that the cities of the plain were awfully wicked. But it's not their wickedness, but their worldliness, their unbelief, and their indifference to the future, their unpreparedness that is held up as a warning to us today. Sodom and Gomorrah was one of those places that's synonymous with wickedness. It wasn't just the homosexuality and the immorality. The people of Sodom were consumed with worldly things. They were consumed with making money, building and acquiring things. And they too were caught unaware when fire and sulfur began to rain down from heaven and destroyed them all. Now, the Bible says this, Proverbs, a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. God does not have a problem. You can't leave an inheritance to your children's children if you've not been a good steward of what God has given you, if you've not saved something, if you've not done something with what God has given you. Making money, building and acquiring things in itself is not wrong. There's nothing wrong with savings. There's nothing wrong with building or doing a business. It becomes wrong when your focus is only upon this world. In fact, the Bible teaches us that the wise people will use the things of this world. A wise servant will leverage the things of this world for the world to come. A wise servant will invest not only here, but they'll invest the things of this life for the life that is to come for us. Now, the people of Sodom had no thought for the life to come. One of the things that has characterized the great revivals of history is the desire of people to avoid worldliness. When God moves in a powerful way, people loosen their grips on the things of this world. And instead, as I said, they leverage the things of this world to prepare for the world to come. And the account of Noah and of Sodom and Gomorrah, in spite of the warnings that came, people refused to listen. Jesus said, now, not Dr. Phil, not some TV preacher, and not me. Jesus said, that's how it's going to be when the Son of Man is revealed. That the same mentality... This worldliness, this focus upon this life to the exclusion of the life to come, that that's how it's going to be whenever Jesus comes. That's how it's going to be when the Son of Man is revealed. It'll be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife? What happened to Lot's wife? She looked back, was turned into a pillar of salt. What was it? She wanted what was back there. She liked it back there. And that's the problem with many believers today. 
God's brought you out. He's delivered you. He set your feet upon a rock. He's transformed your life. He's delivered you from bondages. And you know, one of the things, I, I was talking with someone recently, and we were talking about how there's people in bondage. I want you to know something. I believe with all my heart, Jesus Christ has set people free from bondage. But oftentimes, as they leave that place, as they go on to another place in their life, they stop and pick up the bondages and take them with you. See, he's broken the chains. He's set us free. He's put your feet upon a solid rock. He's established you. But many of you look back, your heart is still back in the world. You're looking back and you're saying, huh, I don't know how I feel about leaving behind. And you can fill in the blank. Friends, you're not going to be satisfied. I can save you a lot of counseling. I can save you a lot of heartaches. You're not going to be satisfied. If there was anything back there for you, you would have found it when you were back there. All it is is garbage. He's brought us out. He's established us. So when you look back, that's not, that Lot's, Lot's wife looked back. We shouldn't be looking back. We should be looking forward to what God has. And her heart was still back there. Her desires were still back there. He says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. It doesn't make any sense, does it? You mean if I try to save my life, I'm going to lose it? I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, and the other left. This speaks of the sudden judgment that is to come. You know, there comes a time when you can't save anything or do anything. The time to make sure you have a fire extinguisher is not at 2 o'clock in the morning whenever your bedroom's on fire. That's not the time to do it. Two o'clock in the morning when your bedroom's on fire is not the time to install smoke detectors or to change the batteries. It's not the time to do it. There comes a time in our lives whenever what's going to happen is going to happen and you just need to hold on. Hmm? There's a time in advance to prepare and we need to prepare in advance. That's what wise people do. Wise people prepare in advance. Fools. Fools don't prepare in advance. Wise people, that's what we want to be. We want to be the wise. We prepare in advance. But there comes a time whenever judgment is coming and there's nothing that you can do about it. There comes a time when you can't save anything. So if God is sending warnings to you that you need to change some of your behaviors, you need to do it now. If God is saying to you, hey, you need to talk to your son or daughter, you need to do it now. If God is saying to you, brother, you need to change some of your attitudes in your marriage, you need to do it now. Because there comes a time when you can't do anything about it. Whenever the Son of Man is revealed, it says you're not going to have time to go downstairs, off the roof, into the house to try to preserve something. And the reality of it is, is to try to preserve something would be futile anyhow. It's the person who loses his life that preserves it. And then he goes on to say that you're going to be laying in bed and one person will be taken away in judgment and one will be left. That two people will be grinding grain together. One will be taken away in judgment and the other will be left. Have you ever known someone who died in an untimely manner? Maybe an accident or they were healthy and had a heart attack and were gone. Do you ever notice that typically at the funeral, what do we say? Everybody stands around in like in awe saying, I just, or whenever you find out, oh my goodness, I just saw them yesterday. 
I can't believe that. We're in awe. Oh, I, we just had lunch together yesterday, and today they're gone. That's going to be the suddenness of the appearing of Christ. That there's going to be people who are going to be taken away in judgment. The judgment is coming, and it's going to come, it's going to come suddenly. There's not going to be any time to prepare for that. There's not going to be any time to do anything about it at that moment. Preparations need to be made in advance. You know, on Sunday, April 14th, 1912, as the Titanic crossed the North Atlantic, it collided with an iceberg and it began to sink. Captain Edward Smith was on his final voyage before he was scheduled for retirement. Wouldn't that be a bummer? You know, you've worked all your life. He's ready for retirement. The final trip. I'll see you when I get back, honey. Final voyage before his retirement. Commander Smith failed to heed. He made some big mistakes. He failed to heed the ice warnings to avoid the area, to be careful. When they told him that ice is directly ahead, he didn't slow down. After the crash, he allowed lifeboats to leave the ship partially filled, unnecessarily adding hundreds of names to the list of the dead and missing. The first lifeboat to leave the Titanic had a capacity for 40 people. Do you know how many people, according to history, were on that boat? There's, there's room for 40. They say the capacity is 40. Do you know, does anyone know how many were on it? Fitzy's pretty close. 12. The first lifeboat that left that ship had 12 people on it. And they allowed that to take place. Now, I want to just be honest with you. When they say capacity for 40, I'm thinking in the North Atlantic, when your ship's going down, I could probably get a few more. Couldn't you? Some of you, years ago, remember years ago, people used to go to drive-in movies. They used to go, they'd fill up a car full, and they'd put people in the trunk and everything. I got some, some of our older folks here, they're saying, yeah, we remember that. You're like, how did you get 26 people in the back of that old Chevrolet? Well, they were smashed in the trunk. It's surprising what people will do to save money, right? You get a car load. We can get a lot more than four in the car. If you're sinking, if people are dying, I think there have been more than enough room. I think you could have probably got more than 40 on there. I think you might be surprised. You could probably get 50, 60. If it's your kid, if it's your grandkids, we might be able to get 61, 62, right? We'd find a way to get them on that lifeboat. But that lifeboat left with 12 people. There was a U.S. Senate inquiry of this tragedy. It said that the lifeboat capacity was 1,176 people. But only 706 people were saved. As I said, you know, you can squeeze more people into the more than what capacity says. And it's not a matter of being comfortable or stylish. You ever notice sometimes we don't want to be crowded too much? or You're in my space a little bit. It wouldn't be a matter of someone being in your space. It's a matter of survival. When it's a matter of survival, we make room. You would be surprised what you can do when you have to. There were 2,223 souls on board. Only 32% were physically saved. 
There were eight other vessels in the area at the time of the collision. And only the Carpathia went to the assistance of the Titanic. When lifeboats were deployed, many of them began to leave the area and head towards the lights of other ships, perhaps hoping that they could drop off their people and come back. From the icy waters, 12 people were plucked. 706 people out of 2,200? You pick up 12 people? Are you kidding me? It's said that some of the people sat in partially filled lifeboats and listened to the cries of the distress until they were silent. There was a steamship in the area. It was called the Californian. It was led by Captain Lord. If he had moved in that direction, he was close enough that he could have prevented the loss of life. But he stood by and did nothing. That's his claim to history. And this relates to the church. How tragic it is to think that there was room for nearly 500 more people in those lifeboats and that they didn't fill up every seat. How tragic it is to think that we could have not only filled up every seat, but we could have had someone sitting on our lap. We could have saved one more person. As we look into the future, God's got a great work for us to do. God has great things in store for us, but there is a day. There is a day when judgment is going to come. And when it comes, there will be nothing that you can do. You won't have time to run from your roof into the house. You won't have time to run from the field into the house to get something. There is a judgment that's coming, and when it comes, that's it. Nothing you can do. We need to prepare in advance. I think it's a shame. I think it's a shame that a great ship like that only made preparation for 1,100. We've got 2,200. We're saying if we have a problem, there's 1,000 of our people who are going to die. But that goes to the leadership. That goes to the company. Well, the government says, the rules of the government says we only need so many lifeboats. I bet you they wish they would have gone beyond what the rules of the government said that day. I bet you the people who were thrust into the icy waters of the North Atlantic wish they had said, done something more. And there's a day coming, friends. But some of the people in our community will wish that Lighthouse did something more. One of the challenges that we have as a church is this. A lot of times we've gotten to a point where I think we like it, which is good. I hope you like the church. But we get comfortable in our church. And we say, I like it when I can know everybody. If you've said this to me, don't be offended, but I think we need to correct things. I don't want to be too big. Oh, These people didn't want too many people in their lifeboat. They're saying, if I let you in my lifeboat, I run the risk that I may be in danger. If I make room for you, they, they were all trying to preserve themselves. What a horrible attitude. And as a church, we can come to the point where we're comfortable because, hey, my son's doing great. He's up at youth convention. I'm happy with the church. I don't want it to be too big. I like to know everybody. I don't want to be, you know, we have all these things. And, and please don't misunderstand me, but friends, we're talking about the salvation of souls. We're talking about one day, 
people slipping into eternity without Jesus Christ. And on a day when judgment comes, when you can do absolutely nothing. I don't want to be one of those ones who sit out with the coward spirit and attitude. I don't know. I, could, I can't live with myself. To sit by while other people are drowning and just wait for their voices to be silent. Can you live with that? How could you live with that? I don't know if, how people could live with that. But if we don't take preparedness now, why are we going to expand our church? Because there is a harvest that God's looking to bring. And you are a part of that. Why are we doing small groups? Because it's going to make room for one more. And here needs to always be our question. Here needs to always be our attitude. One more. How many do we need to be a part of the kingdom? One more. Well, when will we be satisfied? When one more is reached. When is my job done? When we get one more. But many in our churches across the country today, we're saying, wait a minute. I like coming in. I like what's going on. I like knowing the people. They like me. I feel good. I'm happy. I'm good. I'll see you next Sunday. And not realizing and not remembering that, oh my goodness, all around us, people are slipping into eternity without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I hope that we're not cowards like that. I'm just going to be straight up. I hope that we're not that cowardly. I hope that that we're not that indifferent that we say, I won't stretch myself out. I won't try and reach out to help someone else. I'll make room in my boat. I hope that you're saying that. I'll make room in my boat for one more. And we're not just going to slip off somewhere else. I'm going to break out my flashlight because we are supposed to be lighthouse, right? I'm going to break out my flashlight and I'm going to look and I'm going to search for those who God is searching for. I want to be a hand that reaches out to them. As we get ready to close, this is what I want to call us to. I want to call us as a congregation. You are the body of Christ. And friends, you may not know it, but God puts incredible hope and trust in you. He believes in you. He entrusts you with the message of salvation. He entrusts you with the messages, the word of eternal life. And he believes in you that you're going to share it with somebody else. So here's what we don't want to hear anymore. We don't ever want to hear, I don't want Lighthouse to get too big. Here's what we want to hear. I want one more soul, God. Well, for second service, first service is full, second service is full. Then you know what we need to do? We need to build some lifeboats. We need to make room. We need to do whatever God calls us to do so that people can be brought into the kingdom. Let me just say this. A lot of times people will say, well, I kind of like it the way it is. If it's your family, if it's your brothers and sisters who are away from God, do we got room for one more? Hmm? We got room for two more. Three. Yeah. If it's your children who are away from God, do we got room for one more? If it's your father, if it's your friend, can't we make room for one more? Shouldn't we make room for one more? You better believe it. And we're going to. Why? Because God's going to empower us to do that. And here's the thing. When we get our focus, when you get concerned about God's family and his house, and you make that your focus, his kingdom, he says you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, 
and everything else will be added to you as well. God will take care of you, and he'll take care of your needs and your family and your response. He'll help you with those things when you take care of his work and his family. When you reach out to those who are far off. When God reached down and saved me, I'm glad he didn't say, hey, wait a minute, I got enough here. I'm glad he made room for me in spite of my sin, in spite of my rebellion against him. He reached down and took a hold of me. So as we close today, you have a responsibility. You're not simply guest on a cruise ship. Okay? You're not guest. You're part of the crew. You have a work to do. You have a responsibility to carry out. Because God has brought you into his kingdom. You have a work and he has a ministry for you. And he's got plans for you. And if when you sit on them or hold them back, you rob us who are here. You rob God. And you rob those who are yet to be reached. You steal something from them. When you fail to give and use what God has placed in your life for his glory and honor. Would you stay with me? I want to pray for you today. And this is what I want to pray. I want to pray for some people who today you just say, you know what, Pastor? I need God to change my attitude because, I mean, you need to be honest. In this place today, if you would have to be honest before God, and you'd have to say, Pastor, I'm not sure what happened. But I've become indifferent. I've become so focused on myself. And I've lost sight of the importance of people being birthed into the kingdom of God. I become consumed with my own hurts. I become consumed with my own responsibilities. I become consumed with trying to keep my own head above water. And I just want God, you would just say this, you would say, I want God to get my focus upon souls. Can I just get you to see you raise your hands? Can I tell you what will happen? God will transform a church if this starts taking place. He will transform a church. He'll transform a community. If you will start saying, God, get my focus off of this world and get my focus upon the world to come. Now, here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray over you, and I'm going to ask God to give you divine appointments. It'll happen. He'll give you divine appointments. He'll bring people your way. See, God's the one who does the work. We're just vessels. He flows through. He speaks through. I'm going to make you a promise. I'm going to pray for you. And if God does not give you, if he doesn't at least open up one door, I want you to come and talk to me next Monday. If he doesn't do it by next Sunday, I want you to come. I'll take you out for breakfast on Monday. Okay? If God, now, if you're, you got to be honest about it. And you got to believe that, Lord, I'm believing you to open a door, that you're going to bring someone my way to share with you. I promise you that God will bring people your way He'll make divine appointments. And some of you will have two, three, and four. You'll be surprised what God does. So Father, in Jesus' name, I ask for an anointing to come upon your people. An anointing that breaks the yoke. Lord, I pray that God, for your people's eyes, I pray that scales would fall off of their eyes. And that they could see the importance of the kingdom to come. I ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would change our focus, that you would redirect, Lord, our desires and our hearts from this world until the world to come. I ask, God, that you would give us a burden for souls. I pray, God, you'd give us a burden to reach out to others. And I pray, God, we would not expect you to use somebody else, but we would say, Lord, I won't let you go until you bless me.
You bless me with an opportunity, Lord. Give me an opportunity to share with somebody. Give me an opportunity to pray with someone. Give me an opportunity to be your hands and your feet. And Lord, when you give me the opportunity, I'm not going to stand back and question if it's from you. I'm going to take that opportunity. I'm going to seize that opportunity. And I'm going to be used for your glory and for your honor. Lord, as we leave here today, may we be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Your word says we'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon us and we'll be your witnesses. Lord, I pray that you would fill us and baptize people with your Holy Spirit and embolden them to be your witnesses everywhere they go. In the name of Jesus, to you be the glory and the honor and the praise. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen, amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Hope you have a great day in the Lord.